In just a minute, we will jump into our text for the day in Philippians. But before, before we do that, actually, I want to say that uh, just, just for a couple minutes, I want to talk about something, if we can, as a body. Um, this is a special Sunday for our church in that it is Communion Sunday. But also, this, this Sunday, we want to spend just a couple minutes in, in Bible reading and prayer because this also is what's known as Sanctity of Life Sunday. As is the case with thousands of other churches across America right now, today we hold up the untold millions of humans' lives that have been and are being destroyed through abortion, primarily since 1973. We think about this in sort of a sobering vein, a very sobering vein. Nearly ten times as many humans have been destroyed as were destroyed in the Holocaust. When we think about this, we want to jump to the scriptures because our hearts often become overwhelmed when we think about this. This week as an elder team meditating on different passages, as a staff meditating on different passages, preparing our hearts, thinking of the image of God in man, thinking of what God has done to save our hearts, and then thinking of the absolute depravity of the human soul. I want to just read a couple quick passages, and then I would like to take just a couple minutes in prayer this morning. Because the scripture is very clear, when our hearts are overwhelmed, where do we go? We go to the Lord in prayer. So this morning we will do that as well. But I want to read this psalm in Psalm 139, which we just referenced through communion. Psalm 139, verse 13 says this, For you formed my inward parts, David says. Then he says this, You knitted me together in my mother's womb. And it just happened. What is happening in the womb is God is knitting this person, this human being together. He is forming this person. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So before there was even a day that the sun shined on this precious little one, David talking of his own life, God knew that one. Very clearly in this text we see that God is interested not just in the person that comes, that sees the sun, but the one that does not see the sun in his or her mom's womb. This week trying to find solace of thinking of, you know, nearly 100 million some would say, humans that have been taken in abortion in America. We run to Psalm 82, a lament prayer meant to be sung as a song of, a, a song of, of lament, as we talked of this week. A lament by Asaph, the music leader of Israel. And right in the middle of this psalm, he says a couple verses that I want to pray this morning. Here's what he says. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue God. God, rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. I want to tell you, that, that's our prayer this morning. So if you would join with me in prayer, just a brief prayer to our God. 
praying his grace on our country, his grace on our lives, our community, his grace in our day in, day out decisions. Would you join me in prayer? Oh God, let us find solace this morning in your sovereignty. Let us find peace in your preeminence. We praise you, O oh God, that you tell us in the scriptures that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made by you. And now we pray for those who are right now being made by you in the womb. And those also who will not see the light of a single day. Oh God, please rescue the weak, rescue the needy. Oh God, as the scripture says, deliver us, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Please rescue the unborn, we pray. Give us graves to know how to act and when to act and what to, what to say. Oh God, we need your grace. God, I understand and I acknowledge the fact that even in a group like ours, there are some that have regrets in their lives. And oh, I pray right now, Father, that you would, that you would give grace for for all of us in this room, whether we regret these choices in our life or not, that we would run to the forgiveness of the cross and the grace and mercy of the cross. Those who have made regretful decisions in their life, let them run to your person and work, your character, that you are faithful and just to forgive. I pray, God, for those who are currently contemplating this route, please redirect them to options that do not include murder. I pray, God. And I pray these things, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to just mention this, even before we get in the text, is this. Um, brothers and sisters in Christ, prayer works. We're, we're called to act, but I want to say we're also called to get down on our knees and pray through this. Um, the other day in our elder meeting, and I want to be very vague in this illustration I give, but there was brought to us a situation um, of a, a young lady that was contemplating uh, going through and terminating the life of this precious one in her womb. Currently, it was currently happening. And so we just felt compelled as an elder team to just pray right there. We called out on God's, for God's grace in the, in the life of this one. And... Um, and I, I love it because on Monday we meet as an elder team. On Tuesday we get together as a staff. There was a report that came in on Tuesday morning. And I love this, brothers and sisters, because prayer works. God uses prayer in the affairs of man. This young lady that was contemplating ceasing the life inside of her called up another friend and said, Hey, uh, I need suggestions of where to go to do this. Her friend, unbeknownst to her, gave her the number to a crisis pregnancy center rather than to a... Um, planning center. She shows up at the front door and says, I need help with this child. She walks in the door and after two or three hours of gracious counseling, she decided to keep this young one in her womb for options. I'm I'm here to say, brothers and sisters in Christ, there are options. Talking with my children about this yesterday, and in no way do we want to be disingenuous to the reality of struggles that people go through. I mean, that people really do struggle with some of these things and the atrocities, but we run to the sovereign hand of an almighty God. And I'm talking with my son about this, and my son's like, well, Dad, why, why don't they just uh, give the children up for adoption? There's lots of people that want children. 
And I was like, yes, buddy. Now we're thinking in the right vein here. The beauty of life that we can never, we, we should never and can never play God in our lives. We should trust in his sovereign hands in our lives. And would you commit to pray with me, especially this week on Wednesday, that we would, uh, we would value the life that God has blessed us with. So now, let's take time. Thank you for that pastoral exhortation, encouragement time. Let's jump into the text this morning. Philippians chapter 3. A lot happening this morning with communion and then our prayer for Sanctity of Life Sunday. Um, but I do want to go, and this is kind of one of those quick changes in our minds when we think of, past, when we think of church flow and, and emotions in a body of Christ. We're going from, I mean, ups and downs today. We're thinking of the struggles of the cross and the death to the victory of the resurrection. Now in our minds, I just brought up a prayer for uh, abortion and the, the, the atrocities of America that we're going through. And now we're going to go gr- straight to this verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. <laughs> so we're like this today. Nonetheless, that's what the scriptures is about. And that's where he's led us today. So rejoice in the Lord always. Philippians 3, 1 says, rejoice in the Lord we find. Chapter 4 says always, but this chapter, verse 1 of chapter 3 says, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord. I don't know how many of you this week were tempted with that, I mean, that you were here last week and heard this, were tempted with the, with, with this thought to want to complain. To want to take these things back and hold on to them as tightly as we can, rather than releasing them to the Lord and saying, I trust you, God, to kind of embrace some of these joy stealers. Well, that's what we talked about last week. We talked about rejoicing the Lord always, and then, very quickly, verse 2, in brief review, we find Paul saying, look out, beware. By the way, thank you for some of you in this room that sent me some awesome beware signs. I had laughs all week through that stuff, so thank you. I will not mention the one that Patrick Deedham sent me. (laughs) But at any rate, beware, Paul says. Beware. And what are we to look out for? We're to look out for these things that will come and steal our joy. And primarily in this text, it's this. Look out for those who minimize Christ's finished work and maximize the necessity to earn a right standing before God. That somehow we think that we can earn a right standing before God. And we're going to carry right into our discussion today based on that. Look out for those who will steal your joy. Those who find spiritual identity and outward achievements and ritual rather than inward change of the gospel. That is what we're talking about today. But that's what was introduced last week. Watch out for these joy stealers. But then there was not just a negative mention. There was a positive. And Not just watch out for those who are going to question your identity. Now hold strong to what's going to enhance your joy. And here's what's going to enhance your joy in worship. Here we find in verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in in the flesh. Here's what you are to root your joy deeply in. It is in your new gospel identity. We worship God by the Spirit. We glory and boast in Christ Jesus, his finished work on the cross. And because of that, we put no confidence in the flesh. 
Now that leads us right into our discussion today. So if you would even turn your handout over or follow along in your scriptures or on your device, let us start in verse 4 and we'll read to verse 8 this morning. Here we are in verse 4. Though I myself, Paul says, have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And I want to just take a quick time out before we read into verse 5. This right here is essentially a gospel testimony of the Apostle Paul. How God took him from depending so strongly on his own works for salvation to now depending on God for salvation and the finished work of Christ. So let's read about this personal testimony of the Apostle Paul. Verse 5, he starts talking about these things that he put weight in for salvation before he came to Christ. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. Verse 7. It's almost like Paul pauses here. I mean, you don't want to read too much into this, but it's almost like there's a pause and he says, oh, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the, and here's the three words we're going to focus on this morning, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. And that's kind of a light word for what some of your translations might actually say there. Dung, refuse, I count this rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So what's going on in this text? Well, through personal testimony, Paul is making a beautiful argument that believers must do two things. One, must eliminate confidence and personal merit. Eliminate it. It's almost like, don't even go there. Some of my conversations with my children, it's like they start to bring up something and I, don't even go there. You do not want to enter that conversation. That's like what Paul's saying here. Don't even go there in your thinking. So eliminate spiritual confidence and personal merit. And number two, rejoice in something. Eliminate this part, but then run to this part. And we're going to very quickly see that as we walk through this text, this is a very account-driven text. So some of the texts that Paul brings out are very athletic-type driven. There's some that are very military terminology-type driven. There are some accountants and business people here in this room. This is a very accounting-driven text. The terminologies you use all the way through here are very account-driven. We're going to see that. So there's two columns in this text all the way through. Profit and loss. And what's Paul saying here? Eliminate certain things and run to something. And here's what you run to. Run to the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. All saturated in the personal testimony of the Apostle Paul. So let's do this this morning. Let's just start with the first one. What does he say there in these verses? These those rejoicing in the Lord must eliminate spiritual confidence and personal merit. When we're talking about merit, we're talking about self-sufficiency marks. We're talking about accomplishments, personal value marks. The su- and here it is. If you want to summarize it down to one thing, it would be this, something like this. That somehow, in my thinking, somehow I would be duped to think that I can impress God by what I do or what I have done. 
Though I myself, Paul says, is on the screen. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. What is Paul saying? Okay, in certain terminologies, he's the goat, right? The greatest of all times. I've done this. You cannot compare to what I've done. So let me just tell you what what I could put my stock in. These things, that these Judaizers that we read in verse 2, they're the ones that are saying over here on the prophet column, slide all of these things that you're about to mention, Paul, and put them in the prophet column. Well, Paul's saying, I'm uprooting all of these things, and we're going to just walk over this way a little bit, and we're just going to dump them in the lost column. Here are those things that Paul says. First of all, let's just go one at a time. Though I myself uh, have... Confidence in the flesh, Paul says, and he goes right to his background. Okay, if, let me just pause. Like, let me just tell you a little bit about myself. And by the way, who is he talking to? He's talking to a group in Philippi. If we remember back to the context in Philippi, there's a group that didn't have yet a lot of Jewish believers in their midst. But in that kind of a scenario, you're tempted to kind of take these Jewish believers and put them up on a shelf and kind of lift them up because they know there's certain ones that say, okay, you have Jesus, but I have Jesus and I've done all this too. So I'm a higher class Christian citizen than you. And so these Christians in, in, in Philippi might be tempted to look over there and say, whoa, if I could just be like them. And now Paul is saying, hold on a second. Let's talk about this. He says, if you think you have something to boast about, let me tell you something more. He says, let me tell you about my background. Circumcised the eighth day, okay? If you go to the text, it's like he's saying, I'm an eighth dayer. That's like what they would call him in history. I'm an eighth dayer. What's that mean? He was devoted to God as an infant. Paul was a precise follower, worshiper of Yahweh and his covenant expectations. And here's the kicker. I did it when I was a baby. As if he had any choice in the matter, right? It's like saying I'm a special Christian because I, my first Sunday I was born, I was in that nursery getting all the sicknesses that everybody passed around. All right? Paul is saying I've got something special. And in their minds, these, these Judaizers would say I'm someone special because I, was, I took on the identity mark of a follower of Yahweh from the time I was eight years old. And then he continues on of the people of Israel. Paul was a pure of a pure-blooded lineage and heritage of Abraham. Jewish people were, were consumed with lineage. And Paul is saying, okay, if you want to talk about lineage, I can go right back into this discussion. You, you cannot find someone that would have a better lineage than me. I am of the people of Israel, unless you went to, the only thing that could kind of trump this is going to the king lineage that we find in certain passages. And Paul says, you know what, I'm of the people of Israel. He continues on, even of the people of Israel, there was that kind of a couple tribes that kind of raised to the top because of their loyalty. In our minds, we need to think of what happened before the exile. And there were a couple tribes, just a handful, two tribes that stayed loyal to God. And of those two tribes in the southern kingdom, one of them was called the tribe of Benjamin. This is the fighting, loyal tribe of Israel. Paul's saying, okay, of all of the tribes of Israel, I'm part of the, the loyal ones. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Paul was an elite purist in language and customs. You, you could not raise the bar any higher 
I mean, for some of us that are bold patriots as myself, we say it's America, right? Because I'm American. I bleed red, white, and blue. You know, not just red, but red, white, and blue. Proud to be an American. Well, if you take that kind of patriotism and brought it to the table, it would pale in comparison to what these Judaizers were talking about. They didn't just bleed a certain color. They bled theology. They bled elitism. They bled religious laws, customs, and tributes. Their life was so devoted to this way of life, as Paul was. As you go through history, very, very clearly you find, as the Apostle Paul has talked about, some historians would say he was one of the most intelligent, elitist men of the known world at this time. He was up there. And he was tagged into this Judaistic way of thinking for so many years of his life. As we're going to see in the next couple of weeks, Jesus Christ himself took him and grabbed him and rescued him from this. He apprehended him. And Paul praises God for this. But at any rate, here in this text, we find Paul talking of his background. The simple point is, if anyone could boast about their background, it was the Apostle Paul. Not only does Paul acknowledge the insufficiency of merit based on background, he further acknowledges the insufficiency of merit based on accomplishment. So it wasn't just who I am, it is what I have done. And Paul's saying, if I could If I could try to raise to the top based on who I am, I'm already up there. But on top of that, if I could somehow in this profit column start stacking up what I've done, here's a couple things that will prove that. Number one, as to the law, I was a Pharisee. Paul was a member of the strictest sect of separated Old Testament law keepers. Both the written laws of the Torah and the multiplicity of oral tradition laws. And Paul's saying, in all of these things, I was a Pharisee. In all of these things, these Pharisees thought because they showed obedience to these traditions and these laws, it sealed the deal of their relationship with God. He says this, as to the zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. Beat that, Paul says. (laughs) All right. If you think you were loyal to Yahweh, what about being so loyal to Yahweh that you traveled all around the known world at the time and tried to eliminate any follower of Jesus Christ? By the way, as you think about these passages, we need to put ourselves into this context. Paul very well might be writing to people in these epistles that he very possibly had thrown their grandpas or their moms and dads in prison. What about a guy that knew of the grace and mercy and kindness of a forgiving God? It's the Apostle Paul. This Paul says, as to the zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. Paul was so devoted that he destroyed those who defected to Christianity. In the Hebrew way, Paul put his money where his mouth was. This signifies the greatest proof of his loyalty and spiritual zeal to Judaism. Okay, if you think you've arrived, try this. Persecute the way. Persecute the Christians. No one would outdo Paul in regard to his loyalty to God, to Yahweh. And Paul says, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, one word, blameless. Wow. This signifies that from a youth, Paul lived a life that was blameless according to the observations of the law. 
the Old Testament law. If anyone had a reputation for being devoted to the law, it was Paul. It was Saul who became Paul. Practically, for you and for me, I mean, we're looking at this and we're like, wow, that's pretty cool. But what does that mean for you and for me? Honestly, practically, how, how do we find ourselves in this text? Well, the fact is this, because of the natural inclinations of our thinking, our way of flesh, we love to, th- we love to think that we can somehow impress God with our performance or our background. How quickly it enters into our thinking that we can somehow impress a holy God with our performance. Uh, a moment for pastoral clarification. I'm not saying in any way, don't be proud of where you came from. Don't be happy from where you came from. Don't be happy for your family heritage. I'm not saying for a, a single second, don't be proud of your nationality or your patriotism. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying don't be excited about the accomplishments God has allowed in your life. Praise God for the accomplishments he brought into your life. But what I am saying is this. We must refuse this temptation along with the Apostle Paul to base any of our standing before God on anything but the cross of Jesus Christ. We must refuse the temptation to base any of our standing before God on our background and our accomplishments. To think that we can somehow impress God to make him love us more. To think that God is somehow inclined to show grace on us because of who we are or what we've done. And here's the temptation of our minds when we do something praiseworthy in our minds. It's almost like we're thinking of God and we're like, he's sitting up there like, "Woo! I really got to bless that dude. Did you see that? What? Oh man, I'm going to be inclined to this dude. No, the way of the scriptures is this. Our hearts are, are sinful, desperately wicked. Any standing before, we, before God is not in any way based on our own, our own background or our own performance. It is only based on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that is what Paul says in this passage. Those rejoicing in the Lord must eliminate. Don't go to that conversation. Eliminate spiritual confidence and personal merit. And then we find very clearly a second strain of this thought. He says, recognize the surpassing worth of Christ. So don't just, don't do something, but actually do something. Actually consider something. This profit loss column, this profit over here, loss over here. Let's talk about that for a minute. And here's how he talks about it. If you would just read with me verses 7 and 8. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Uh, So the other night, Thursday night, um, we had a family night. We usually have sports practices on Thursday nights, and some of them are canceled because of rain, and then uh, another one, we just decided to stay home and have a family night. And a couple of us joined in on this wonderful game. Have you ever played this game with the kids? The game of life. This one, add pets to your life. Woo! Build your family, add pets to your life. And I was playing this game, and I found myself in an overwhelming frustration. Why? Because my son David's life was so much better than mine. 
I mean, this dude is racking up the money. Like, he's just like, Dad, look. And if you know this game, I mean, if you, the irony of this, the job that by the fate of this game, I was a video game designer. And if you know my life in the slightest, you know that I do not have a fond affection towards video games. If that's your thing, great. I have nothing against that in your life. But for me, I would much rather be out with a ball or on a run or on a hike or with a gun. I mean, uh, anyway, we won't go there. That's one of those rabbit trails we could get off on real quickly. But in this game this week, Thursday night, I pulled this card and I'm like, oh boy, are you kidding me? Okay, I'm a video game designer. And as I went around this thing, this, this whole game of life, I'm going to tell you I did something that actually is kind of true to life. I just kept adding kids to my car. <laughs> my money was going away and the kids are being added. And I'm like, that's so true to my life today. <laughs> and I went around this whole game and the whole game is based on loss and profit. To the end of the game, I'm just curious to see this, this, this game, because I used to play it when I was a kid, and this game is so much more advanced today. And I was like, okay, what's the final piece here? What do you get if you win? You know what it was? It was whoever retires first. And whoever has the most money when you end. And I'm like, I'm a big loser. And I start getting to the end, and my money's just going everywhere. My son's just like, yeah. And whoever finishes first gets an extra pot of gold. And I found myself getting so frustrated, and I'm saying, this is exactly what I need to bring to mind to this text. Because very clearly in this text, there are accounting terms happening here. That we're constantly talking about the profit column. And in this, there's nothing wrong with Enjoying the blessings God's giving you through finances or assets, as long as they are not idols in our lives and as long as they are used to promote the kingdom of God and his glory. And nothing wrong with that. However, in our minds, we're constantly tempted to be discontent because this profit thing in our life doesn't look like it should. And we're constantly being navigating around this profit loss column. And instead, though, in this game, it's all about money. Paul now takes the discussion and brings it to a theological discussion of profit and loss. What's the profit-loss discussion that Paul brings up? Well, simply this. Look at the words counting. This, is, this passage is full of accounting terms. But whatever gain I had, I counted. This is a word that means to deeply consider and think about it. You ever thought about an investment for a long time before pulling the trigger? To process intensely, to deliberate, to debate in your mind, going back and forth on it. And Paul says three times in this passage to count. He's talking about counting. I counted as loss. I count everything at the end and count them as rubbish. There's accounting terms mentioned. He also uses other terminology. The gain terminology, the gain-loss thing. This gain he talks about is another word for profit, advantage, benefit. He uses it twice in this text. The first one he uses for earned profit. I've earned this. The last one, however, at the end of the discussion is about received profit. I did nothing to earn this, but he uses the same term. He uses another one, not just the profit column, but the loss column. He says it three times in this passage. 
I count it as loss. Everything as loss. I suffered the loss. What is he talking about here? It's more than just losing something. It's something that has been damaged um, dynamically. It's something that's been ineffective, made ineffective. Something that's made futile. It's even harmful. It is to take a business hit. A big business hit. It's not just losing something as if I can't find it around my house. It is taking damage. And Paul says that in regards to this theological profit and loss equation. Another more descriptive word that he actually uses is this word along the same lines as loss. He further clarifies with this word rubbish. Garbage. Actually refuse. Dung, vile filth. What he's referring to is what was clearly discarded as worthless. Nobody in their right minds wants poop. Even in San Francisco. (laughs) I had to throw that in, sorry, from our discussion last week. No one wants this poop. I mean, you want to prove that. Think about these blessed nursery workers over there. What is the thought they navigate through every week? I hope no one drops off their kid with a poopy diaper. And how many poopy diapers am I going to have to change today? Pastor, please preach quick. Because there's some smells coming out of that room. We want to eliminate this. In our mind, we very clearly think of this as not good. And Paul is saying, okay, let me just up the ante in the discussion a little bit. Not only is this business hit, this loss, it's actually like dung and refuse. Why? Because it's harmful, it's very harmful to the discussion, the theological discussion. But then, I love this, central to this text is, are these words. The surpassing worth. And the profit loss column, this is something over here in the profit column that would not just be at the top, but that would be way at the top. You can't even compare it. And what is Paul saying in this? There's a surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. What's the simple point as we wrap up this morning? Paul has done some accounting work here. Some serious thinking. He's worked through this in his mind. In my mind, when I think about the accounting work that happened in the Apostle Paul's life, it was after he was blinded on the road to Damascus. As he sat there and could not do anything and and started to account for his life, what meant something in his life and what meant nothing in his life. As Jesus Christ apprehended him, as we'll talk about in a couple weeks, this accounting went on in his mind. I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, and everyone here this morning, this is the same accounting that we need to go through as we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. There's some this morning that are here that are curious about this Jesus Christ. My call to you this morning in this profit-loss equation is run to the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. Don't run to the cubic zirconium. Run to the 10-carat diamond. Run there. On one side, we have loss. This side, all status-based All this status is based on self-sufficient earning, and it is a massive zero in accounting terms. Not only is it zero, but it's harmful in the discussion because of its misleading nature. 
You cannot wait to get this off of the books because it's so harmful. It could be considered a detriment to your future if you hold on to it. And what's the other side? On the other side is eternal gain. Eternal gain that is only received through embracing the surpassing value of Jesus Christ. Realizing that in my own background and achievements, I could never for a single moment come close to the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. It is only by his mercy and grace. As we wrap this up this morning, we want to go home with this key idea. True joy, brothers and sisters in Christ, only comes through fully embracing the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. The adverse of this, the opposite, would be something like this. True joy comes by digging deep and trusting in myself. It will never work. Very clearly to, through the scriptures we find that even our righteousnesses are as what? Filthy rags. The surpassing nature of Jesus Christ and his own righteousness. This is true from starting a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's some that have been coming regularly that are accounting in your life if Jesus Christ is worthy to be followed. Right here, right now, you're debating if this Jesus is worth it. If this Jesus is, is who you want to follow the rest of your life. This is called salvation. This is called justification. And I want to say this, God's love cannot be earned. It is only received by repentant faith. This morning, come to Jesus in faith and receive the blessings of the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. But I don't want to keep the discussion there, though. Because even those of us who have come to Jesus Christ in justification and salvation are tempted on a regular basis to, to base our standing before God on our own performance. This is called the performance track, uh, trap. The treadmill of performance where I think that somehow in my life, in my sanctification, I can make God love me more or do something to make him love me less. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that, that shows we do not have an understanding of grace and mercy and kindness. God in his graciousness has supplied us with a right standing before God in justification that drives us through our sanctification. You cannot make God love you more in than he already does. No, we simply find our true joy in the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. A joy that propels us, and I want to be very clear on this, and we'll get to this in the, in the text to come the next couple weeks. This is a joy that propels us not to presuppose things on God's grace, but to live differently now because of God's grace. To live a life that now is different we simply find our true joy in the surpassing worth of Christ and this translates into lives of true devotion and of grace-driven effort. That's what it drives us to. A joy that does not ignore personal holiness, but in Christ unashamedly embraces personal holiness. I was overwhelmed this week as I went back into my mind to a passage we re referenced last week in Colossians. In Colossians chapter 2, we, write, we read this. Beware. There's that beware word again. Beware lest anyone cheat you. Back to these accounting terms. Beware lest anyone cheat you. 
through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ, the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. For in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Back to our discussion on Wednesday night in our theology class. In God, in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you, here it is, brothers and sisters in Christ, let us hold on to this. Let us take this to the bank every day of the week. You are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. And you being dead in your trespasses, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you your trespasses, all of them, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way. And what did he do with it? He nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and power, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in the cross. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let us hold to this. As we follow Jesus Christ, let us hold to this thought that true joy comes only through fully embracing the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. So what? What personal status marks have I attached my joy to? You think about your own life. Where do I look for my significance? What God says about me because of the surpassing worth of Christ or what others say about me through the insufficient performance, my insufficient performance and background? There's another question that we can take home this week. Do I find my joy in the surpassing worth of Christ? Simply enough, let us ask ourselves this over and over and over again. Satan wants to steal our joy in the Lord. Brothers and sisters, do we find our joy in the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ, the treasure that we now have in Jesus Christ? This week, will the surpassing work of Christ bring a smile to my forlorn face? bring comfort to my weary soul, and bring resolve to my spiritual effort. God, I pray that you would give us grace to find our true joy in the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. I pray that you give us grace as we continue this discussion into the next verses, the verses to come in the next month. Give us grace to hold on to Christ with all we have. To find our joy in Jesus Christ. 